Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Western podcast. We are in season three. <laughs> Marketing and media within the Western industry. We have brought on some really amazing guests, and today is no exception. Abby, who are we talking to? Well, today, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> we have Hunter Old Elk on the line. We met Hunter a few months back at the Saddle Tramp wedding of the century of the century uh, <laughs> out in Wyoming, and we were so inspired yeah. by her. Yeah, it was one of those times where you meet someone and you walk away, and we looked at each other and we we're just like, "What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is?" This goddess walking upon the earth. Pure She's light. amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. So Hunter is the curator at the Plains Indian Museum. And she's a member of the Crow and Yakima Nations. And truly a real force for good in this world. So we are so excited to bring her on today. To have some kind of sticky yeah. conversations. But conversations that need to be had nonetheless. So... Without further ado, Hunter, how are you? Doing good. How are you ladies doing? Oh, we're so good. Ooh, we we're can't. so good. Oh. We wish you were here. We do. I know. I, I wish I was in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's not get carried away. Said no one ever. <laughs> let's, uh, I wish we were together. How's yes. that? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, good to acknowledge that we have the opportunity to share space mm. digitally um, yeah. to acknowledge the indigenous roots that we occupy in our, our individual places. Yes. So I'm coming to you from Wyoming, Cody, Wyoming, um, traditional homelands of the Shoshone and Crow people. And so yes. acknowledging ancestral roots very much is a huge part of our, our contemporary story. Yeah, and we're here, I guess, we've never said specifically where we are in Iowa, but we're in eastern Iowa, the Quad Cities area, which is the ancestral lands of the Meskwaki and the Sauk primarily, but also we have um, the Iowa, some Omaha, and a lot of other um, groups who would move through the region, so thank you for doing that. I love that that you know that. (laughs) That is just like right off the top of your head. (laughs) And now it will be off the top of mine. (laughs) But it's so important. I love that you, I love that you lead with that because really the, the space that we occupy in every sense of that word, I think we should always be really mindful of that. And I think the way that we interact within those spaces and the way we hold spaces should be really connected to who is in that place now and who mm. made that that place possible for us mm. exactly and acknowledging that we yeah. are just a a small part of the larger space that we occupy and that you know earth will be here before we were here and it'll be here when it's gone and mm. that's that's beautiful to think of like how our small story plays a part in those roles and um you know, that's something to lead with with the conversation that we're going to have today, which I'm really excited. Yes. Yes. And tell our listeners, too, about your job, because this is one of the most amazing things about you, I think. Yeah. uh, yeah. Hunter, just tell us, tell us who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are. So my name is Hunter Old Elk, um, and I'm the curatorial assistant for the Plains Indian Museum in Cody, Wyoming. 
Um, I am a millennial indigenous curator. Um, there's you know, few and far of us, but we're there. Um, I am from the Crow and Yakima nations. Uh, so my parents' family, my mom is from the Yakima Valley of Washington, mm-hmm. and my father's family is from the Crow tribe of southeastern Montana, where I was born. Um, so I am two indigenous groups. Um, my connection to Western roots really stems from my indigenous background, but also as um, a fourth generation cattle owner. And so mm. my family has 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 at times and has not been in the, the horse and cattle business, um, which is really exciting. It's exciting to have the indigenous roots, but also that part of the Western culture as well. Mm. Right, because they are too, I think often they get all tied up kind of into one package when mm-hmm. people think about, quote unquote, the American West. But really, there's an important distinction there. There is, yeah. And, you know, acknowledging, like, the singular experiences of of those different groups of people. Um, and so a lot of times with the Western culture, and you guys have acknowledged this in other podcasts, is that um, cowboy can be sort of an outlier of the Western mm-hmm. story and rodeo, but also the indigenous experience is very much in tune with that and... Um, and seeing that there is like this vibrancy of cultures in the West, may that be native cultures, may that be natives who ranch, who are cowboys as well. Mm-hmm. Um, these different identities that relay in the West, um, which is super cool, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Big time. Yeah. yeah. And it's not well, seen enough. <laughs> no. Or talked no. about or known about. Yeah. Yeah, and there's kind of this natural connection and um, of indigenous people with animal, and sometimes that can be sort of whimsical, or it's uh, mm. you know, in, in those kind of senses where uh, it's the indigenous person who talks to the animals, and yeah. they are in some way like connected with nature. Um, but there's also this natural digression from our people who lived on the plains in nature and then transforming into like different cultures and so naturally it makes sense to me that you had systems of colonization that came through and created you know the agrarian agricultural and then you have these individuals who are beautiful horse people then go into something like the rodeo industry or the cattle industry and um and thrive in those ways Mm. Mm. I love that let's can we talk about that more because I think this is something that comes up a lot and then often gets I don't know misconstrued and misperceived you touched on it this whimsical sense of like you know Indians and animals and like this um is it like trope, a really is it like a Pocahontas effect that like we yeah. all saw a Disney movie mm-hmm. as like little white kids and we grew up with this think, idea that is so skewed yeah like talking to animals and the colors of the wind and all of that when yes. really this is tied really deeply to spirituality mm. to entire like systems of thought mm-hmm. and like ways of life and the way that like people move throughout the world mm-hmm Yeah, I think it's very much, um, it's a lot of it. I mean, we can see the image of cowboy versus Indian, and that's Mm -hmm. very much rooted in myth versus reality. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea that uh, 
a Native American image is representative of like free spirit, right? And we've all seen like pieces of clothing in the Western world mm-hmm. where it's something like a, a feather war bonnet, yeah. and then there's some script under the bottom that says like live free, die die fast, or you know like yeah. live free, die hard, or. You know, yeah yeah like the the skulls with the headdress on or things like that where it's like what are we what are we representing here do people do people know what they're doing when i yeah like cue your motivational quote and connecting these like very obscure images and then it's like wait 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 like no no why does it look like they like why do you have a teepee in the desert like Right. And it's always very specific. It's it's typically it tends to be a lot of that plains imagery that the is then applied as almost this blanket statement that f- people think fits in like a puzzle piece but to it's wherever. But it's like Southwest. They like that yeah, vibe. Right. Right. Imagery that then shows up on clothing um, that then plays into kind of this this entire personality that I think people start to adorn themselves with when they're wearing mm. these kinds of images. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, this perception that I am whimsical and free. And so I, you know, I end up representing these, these different personalities. And I've, I've always thought that's so funny as an onlooker. <laughs> oh, I can't even also, imagine. Like, I'm guilty of it too. Um, and so, you know, the, like the baseline of the conversation is representation. Mm-hmm. And so I'll kind of tell you a little bit of story about how, my consciousness has very much changed in terms of being mindful about which brands I choose to to wear and mm. what imagery I choose to to adorn myself with um, because I'm, I'm, I see this with brands um, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit which we can edit around no go <laughs> but for it <laughs> something I see with you know not being represented in the larger media or being represented in something like trope and stereotype um so we can thank spaghetti westerns right like the Clint Eastwoods mm-hmm. and the John Waynes of our childhood mm. to then looking at how those toxic images although they're entertaining and fun make this perception that like Indians are wild savagery and mm. that is something that brands really stick to because it's this carefree free notion not thinking about like the ramifications of representation and so as a consumer I've purchased items that had like Thunderbirds from Wrangler mm. or um, Dreamcatchers from Cowgirl Tough and thinking I'm being represented in these clothing but wow. they're but they're cartoons, right? That's mm-hmm. character. Wow. And I'm seeing myself in, in character. And I, and I never connected that until I was older. Because it was, for the first time, I, I thought I saw myself reflected in these. Oh. And you can see how representation is, is a huge responsibility of brands. That's heavy to think about. When you were a child, you see it as one way. And when you're an adult, you see mm-hmm. the truth of it and what's actually yeah. happening. And so you bring up things like Pocahontas, right? Like mm-hmm. This rad lady that is singing with, <laughs> with the trees and, and she's befriending the colonizers. And then you stop and think and you're, that's your representation as, you know, a young girl who's seeing this beautiful brown woman on a cartoon. 
and then growing old and thinking like, wait, no, she was, she was a child. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, well, that's not okay. Yes. And so I wonder, wow. this brings us to a good point about the truth underneath a lot of these narratives, because a lot of this is based in some sort of reality, right? But then it, then I think we take those and we run with it and they've been transformed into something that's almost unrecognizable. So Pocahontas, yeah, she was, she was a preteen when this happened to her. So, and same with like seeing war bonnets, seeing teepees, sure, those are real and those exist, but not in the ways, like you said, that they're being characterized. Yeah, and so, you know, you make a great point, and a lot of my work is, I work with museum objects, and so our collection is based around Plains Indian objects, and we have international audiences, and so these are people from all over the world that have these preconceived notions about what Indigenous people are supposed to be, oh, wow. but then you also have children, and so these are, you know, tiny tiny humans that are being educated and sometimes they don't know any better Mm. and so we often a lot of our work stems around trying to deal with tropes things that people have read in history books or their lack of read um things that media has perceived or like conscious consciously recognizing brands and symbolism and these these attitudes and personalities that and perception that happen or the vice versa of that is that then indigenous people are relics of the past yes. and so using their images in that way you, you know using a historic image you don't have to be um responsible for for those mm. contemporary stories and so i speak a lot about uh, media responsibility and and brand responsibility because those are the images that you're perpetuating and so we get visitors um in our spaces or even just conversations and my other types of work where um it's things like right i can wear a feather bonnet because i'm honoring your people okay in what way mm. um <laughs> not looking at the perception <laughs> not looking at um, right like a feather bonnet is a piece of military clothing mm-hmm. like you wouldn't wear someone's purple heart around <laughs> it's the same idea right like that's so that's so contrary to me that is really it funny is. when you bring it up like that like oh thank you for your honor <laughs> sir mm-hmm. what I'm having images of uh, white women in Pinterest photos with headdresses on or wearing rolling like, across my mind and I want to throw up right a now. A World War II <laughs> era like metal helmet. Like yes, nobody yeah. is like putting that on and like running around yes. to a music festival like, yeah, why do You're we like, do that? I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't if so, you know what it is. If you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. And so if you become conscious about, you know, those responses are conscious about imagery like I think it as a as a buyer and as an influencer you have a social responsibility um Mm. and so that's you know a lot of like when I was thinking about visiting with you gals is like what am I trying to say here you know where where does the western world fit in in playing on these stereotypes and tropes Mm -hmm. pretty heavily 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, they're one of the few industries that are um, that is not. And I don't want to say that they haven't been terribly conscious about it because I've seen in you know the last year or two brands like Wrangler and Ariat being really intentional about making sure that they are being inclusive. Um, mm-hmm. You get my favorite brands that are also size inclusive. And yeah. so mm-hmm. diversity plays a huge part in these conversations. Um, and it's not just in your representation, but it's also in your size inclusion. Mm-hmm. It's also in um, the attitudes and personalities that the people of your clothing wear. And yeah. that's been like, that's been really eye-opening and refreshing to see um, is the respect that is being put there. But there's a lot of work that needs to happen. Mm. And so a lot of the conversations of 2020 have really stemmed from this fear that um, there's, uh, what do they call that, uh, culture canceling? Mm-hmm. Mm. Is, is a huge conversation in the Western world where it's like, well, what do you mean I need to do this or do that? Um, The flip side of it is in the age of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion in 2020. It's, it's a very relevant subject um, because performance, uh, what do they call that? They call it like performative allyship. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So let me start over there. Um, (laughs) So performative allyship is, very eye-opening and and i think consumers are seeing this more and more wow where it's like okay so as a as a person of color i'm looking at your brand as a leader of influence and if i'm not seeing myself Mm. there's something wrong there yeah the flip side of it is it's super refreshing to then see these alter personalities and these alter people in editorial campaigns and and celebrating their their connection to the west it's it's something that's really um important because those personalities and attitudes have always been here so really it's about making a space that feels inviting and welcoming to everyone whether that's in the representation via like models and branding in that way all the way down to the imagery and motifs and the styles that are being used within the products that are being marketed. Absolutely. It is all of those things. Um, and I almost think, you know, as a, someone who is an onlooker is that there has to be some, it, it's marketable as hell, mm, right? Like what's, what's uh, if we're going to talk about anything first and foremost to promote change, there is, ethical change but then there is also revenue responsibility or you know revenue is a huge part of that and if you've now opened up a market for all of these different these people that have been onlookers who are consumers and then finally seeing themselves like that is that is huge that that is huge for the industry yeah because really when you think about it that's just another way that people are being boxed out and subjugated and being made this other really like made into a commodity mm-hmm. and very much just yeah, like much. cheapened and all mm-hmm. you're good for is your imagery that we thought was cool so we stole it right and that's something that I've always thought too when I was thinking about this idea of um, brand responsibility is how commodified 
the Western world has become. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we're in this this area where fast fashion is very much a part of Ooh, the Don't get me started. It's <laughs> <laughs> very much a part of the social media, like, influencer attitude anymore because it's, you know, like, how do I create the next incredible look mm-hmm. from all of these incredible brands? Mm. And I'm getting all of these these consumer pieces, and we almost lose the authenticity. And I know that can be kind of a buzzword. People mm-hmm. tend to cringe when you say something <laughs> like that. Of um, of small batch, like handcrafted items, and I think that's where um, Indigenous people have really kind of bridged the gap between this fast fashion because you get like the whole part of the. Uh, influencer attitude and the the consumer is like the vintage market Mm -hmm. like one of a kind pieces that people want to put their hands on and so you see that but yeah I think there's a social responsibility and fast fashion as well so then I want to circle back as we're talking about this because I think they're all connected that when we get into then like the boutique world especially Mm -hmm. in the Western industry. Boutiques often are all about fast fashion just Mm by nature. So then what's the, what's the responsibility of a boutique per se, all the way from like sourcing these pieces that are mindful and respectful all the way down to the name of the of the boutique themselves boutique name boutique oh my names gosh. is like something i just think we could i think we could have a whole episode on that. <laughs> yeah all boutique names yeah let's pick a uh adjective let's pick a, a verb and you, you don't have to have it in there but it's, it's super it's super funny to me like it's, it's so funny it's like it's, a it's mad lib and it's kitschy as hell which i think kitsch plays a huge part in in progressing kind of this uh western attitude or i suppose how it's changed is um and that's you know always been a part of the attitudes around imagery i Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. is kitsch it plays a huge part of that um but circling back to the fast fashion i think it's interesting to talk about different responsibilities and it's difficult but i i think you know, we can talk about um, how brands can can do better, and yeah. so I've always been on in line with brands who have different kinds of um, cultural consciousness trainings. Mm. Uh, they're really taking a critical look at cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. um, yeah. owning up to their potential, you know, or their history, if that is there and saying like, yeah, we, we really did wrong there and, and we got to do better. Um, yeah. And so we come into this age of cultural appropriation. And again, it's one of those cringy topics where mm-hmm. people mix up the three concepts of cultural appropriation. And so there's cultural appreciation, mm-hmm. which is, you know, an example of, maybe purchasing directly from an indigenous person, Mm -hmm. um, including those in your pieces of clothing or in your editorials, um, so that you are not playing into the mass-produced from China Aztec print Mm -hmm. because we don't want to own up to who those belong to or who was the initial inspiration. 
Mm-hmm. There's cultural integration, um, which is this concept of a person who goes into um, a culture group and they are like a second or third party. They recognize their privilege and i'm gonna put that out there i know people cringe at that word too no it has to be Um, said But they recognize their position and then there's cultural appropriation where Mm -hmm. it is the stealing the direct um stealing of concepts imagery themes and so on or so forth and so we want to be in the place of cultural appreciation away from the place of cultural appropriation and then finding ways to integrate Yes, because it is beautiful, but it is so important to recognize the source. Exactly. So Hunter, can you give us like, I don't want to be like a list, but seriously, when people are just learning about this Mm -hmm. stuff, sometimes they have no idea that a TP was the wrong kind of t-shirt to buy. Do you have just like a, just like things at the top of your mind that you're like, if a boutique had a checklist of what not to buy with it on a t-shirt, what would that look like? So I would be critical of looking at how iconography is reflective of people. Mm. And so, you know, being intentional about maybe not buying something like a feather bonnet or war bonnet that has these live free, you know, the the statements that we talked about and, and thinking about how those images are so important um, to indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's this this mindfulness attitude. Um, but it's also then also looking at the study of those symbols themselves. Like, why is that so ingrained in Western culture, right? Like the Thunderbird as an image or the teepee as an image. Um, and seeing if you are playing into myth and reality and trope Mm -hmm. that's 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 a lot of it is that people unintentionally don't realize that they are perpetuating those attitudes Mm. and so there's many times that i've had conversations with people who are wearing certain pieces of clothing or images and they're just unmindful of of what it is for one um who it comes from and so that's that is you know kind of an interesting part in it you know i swing back to this idea of um handcrafted authenticity where you're buying directly from makers mm-hmm. i think there's at the core of that question it's more about i think we often see these mass-produced images and symbols that in the same way that we see these kind of generated names for boutiques we see this generated set of stock images with like with the teepees with the bison as this like you know roam wild and free type of animal we see thunder like tribal quote-unquote tribal prints yeah yeah squash yeah squash blossoms i mean i think we could do a whole episode on that because hunter educated me a lot at the wedding on that squash yeah and confession to everyone here i didn't put together the term war bonnet until right now tonight really really and now i'm rethinking some certain brands that i follow Mm mm-hmm and, and I've done the same thing many times before, and Abby can attest to this as far as sponsorship goes and et cetera, mm-hmm. that 
there's a lot of problematic shit out there yeah. and we're not talking about it. Mm-hmm. So there, there is. And it's, I, I think that it's, there's almost a fear and wanting to bring up the problematic stuff. Um, Cause again, like I think depending on who holds autonomy to speak on those, it's, you know, you can be perceived in certain ways. And so, right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, me as an indigenous woman coming into this conversation and saying yeah like the industry is problematic as hell um (laughs) that might not hold the same pull as you know say someone who is not of color Mm -hmm. but is also a part of the industry and you know i think we're moving to a place where people really want to be intentional and they want to do the right thing and having these hard conversations but you know images of buffalo war bonnets and teepees sell <sighs> and that is the double-edged sword right yeah. right <laughs> you, yes. you can sell you can sell myth and reality in those ways but there's some power in in purchasing directly from makers um, yeah, absolutely. but i think it also stays away from brands cheapening themselves yeah with the, the commodifying over and over again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And I think the conversation has to start somewhere. And I would love if today sparks something in everyone who's listening to at least take a moment of pause. Yeah. And to consider. And it's it's totally okay to own up to mistakes we've made in the past. Hunter, I think you made a great point that... We, it, this is a confusing or um, sometimes stressful time in that we're living in this moment of people begging each other to be aware and to take action and to stand up for each other and and to really just defend the basic human rights of every single person regardless of the perceived color of their skin or mm-hmm. their perceived like origin, nationality, what have you. And so, but, but then at the same time, we're also inside of this cancel culture where if you make a mistake, there's not a lot of grace there. And so So I think when we're having this conversation today, I really, I think the first step in healing comes from admitting our mistakes because you can't, you can't own up to the past and you can't apologize and begin to make amends unless you recognize where you might have blundered before. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely have to be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think the, my critique of cancel culture is it doesn't acknowledge growth Ah, in any way. And that is a huge issue when we start talking about conversations on uh, inclusion and representation is if you are saying you are in the wrong and nobody has ever told you why, or are they not giving you a good enough argument? Like conversations aren't had, right? Right. Nobody is going to, to have a constructive conversation um, to, to the baseline of like, why might this be problem? You know? And, yeah. and I, I might be a little, um, I might be a little less um, conflicting. How Mm -hmm. am I trying to phrase that? Um, Like controversial? Yeah, I might be a little less controversial and saying like, no, like you should, you should be pissed off every time somebody does something wrong because you don't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. You do not get anywhere. We, We don't sit down and have these fundamental 
conversations about beliefs if we're not creating space for healing and that that is very much a big part of and I think that's something that gets lost in industries that are consumer industries that commodify over and over again Mm, because I go back to the statement those images sell right yeah 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 (laughs) well and that brings up a beautiful point too is that the moment that we're in can either be seen as a moment of conflict or an opportunity for healing and for growth. And it all depends on how we choose to approach it. I completely agree. So then Hunter, my question for you then is say there's a boutique owner listening right now who is, who's maybe realizing that something they've been doing is problematic where would you recommend they go from here? Like what's step one in moving uh, forward in a, in a better direction? So like the baseline, I mean, it's, it's hard to ask people to self-reflect like in mm-hmm. any way and then to, to own up to any kind of um, maybe uh, troublesome behavior or accidents that you have in the past. But I think moving forward, it's setting an intention that setting the intention that you want to do better that Mm. you want to represent indigenous brands who are creating these content that they are the creators and the makers and giving space for them I mean I think it way strengthens a boutique or a shop owner's um I think it strengthens a shop owner's market I think it strengthens Mm. the integrity of shop owners yeah. Um, it's looking at how, next is also looking at how you're describing some of these pieces, Ooh. right? And so ah. one of my big kind of laughing points, kind of I shake my head, is every time I see something like a beautiful, maybe Southwestern-inspired pattern or Native-inspired pattern, but they stick something like the word Aztec ah, on there. Ah, yes. Because then you don't have to be responsible for the creators of that. Right, mm. right. Because so that's, and can you explain that, that more, describing. though? Can you explain that more for people who might not know what you're sure. talking about there? Sure. And so um, we look at how representation and, like, words are power, right? The way that mm-hmm. we describe things is super powerful. Um, we, breathe, we bring things into fruition when we say them, when we write them, when we create them. The same can be said for how you describe patterns or how you describe um, maybe an item of clothing that you have in uh, in your shop that is Aztec pattern. They use the word Aztec pattern because they don't have to give credit to indigenous persons that might have created that or who inspired those pieces. And so using something like the Aztec people who... Um, their ancestors are in Mexico like mm-hmm. there's no social responsibility to them because Aztec is it's a not... historical yeah because right. Aztec is a historical um description right and not it's not like it's a living culture like, yeah yeah it's it's kind of when you use the word Aztec it's kind of this all-encompassing like culturally inspired piece mm-hmm. um it might be native inspired it might be African inspired, it might be Mexican American inspired, but Aztec is just this clunked in piece for every pattern that might be geometric. Mm. Wow. 
Never thought about that. So really, it's just, it's about being it's about being critical and critical, being mindful intentional. Yeah. and intentional. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that just got really scary. Something came out from deep inside me. Say we're gonna spill the tea. I mean, I suppose we might as well do it. Oh, girl, girl. I didn't even bring paper towels to wipe it up. We're going to spill it and we're going to leave it. We're going to let the table get sticky. <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. That took, I got really passionate about that. It's okay. <laughs> we apologize way too many times in our lives. Amen. Word. So then too, I think we touched on something interesting, which is the responsibility of influencers yes, in this I wrote entire that down narrative. Too. Yes. When it comes to brand partnerships, mm-hmm. when it comes to certain products, influencers also carry a really important weight on their shoulders. Yeah. Oh my gosh, next to athletes in the Western world, influencers are next in like your marketing responsibility. And so we see a lot of the Western industry now becoming relying on influencers who create editorials for them um, to create this content. At the same time, you're creating a brand. Mm -hmm. And so I look at people like uh, Tracy Kelly of Little Bees Mm -hmm. or um, Brianne Beasley of Saddletrap Brand who our influencers and what they say and what they do is seen and it's interpreted Mm -hmm. and they're consistently reflecting on if this is okay or not yes and that's a place that we want to be right that is that is where we want to be and so i look at influencers as also artists and being able to support artists in the attitudes that they are creating in the content that they are um, are in the the brands that they're that they are um, representing as an extension of those brands, but yeah. it's also an extension of their brand. And so, if you are representing uh, companies that might be problemsome or they haven't done the work, it's kind of a reflection on you. Yeah. Wow. And that—that's that—that that, and me as as a third party, like somebody seeing that, I recognize that, but not everybody does. Mm, that's so you have to do the work too to be intentional. Yeah, you you need to do your research, right? Like, yeah. You, yeah. A product is representative of an entire system, of an entire business, and a group of individuals who think a certain way, who have certain beliefs who operates in a, in a really specific way in this world. And so you accepting that product, promoting that product in that brand then promotes those beliefs. It does. Yeah. It's a reflection. And so, you know, and I think this is the flip side of the cancer culture is when people get into those sticky situations, they completely cut ties mm. and so like, and that can be good and it could be bad. And so, you know, just, just to think about that a little bit. Right. Because again, that can be an opportunity to help each other grow. Yeah, it can, it can be. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, one of my big critiques of marketing on social media is that it can be a good place for dialogue, but it also can be a really, really bad place for dialogue. Um, (laughs) people can sit back as 
you know, someone on their phone and say, oh, this is problemsome. Oh, why did you do it this way? You're, you're racist and you don't care about blah, 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 blah. But there's no dialogue happening back and forth where it's like, okay, now I have to defend myself because all of my followers have now seen somebody call me a racist. Uh-huh. You know, I'm just using this as like a, as an example. Um, but you, they've, they've lost the opportunity to say like, hey, I didn't mean to do this. Right. Mm. And that, that can be really problemsome. And I think social media is also an awesome tool, but I think it can also be a bad tool. Um, and so with my own personal pages, that's something I've always set the intention that I don't want to be a place where people argue. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, I wanted, I don't want to be neutral in topics, but I want to present the facts, you know, things along the lines of, I love Western fashion, but I also love advocacy work. You know, at the baseline, I am an arts advocate. And so mm-hmm. I want to support what artists are doing um, and how they are interpreting the natural world because we ask them to do that. Right. And so influencers mm-hmm. are like that in artists. But then also relaying important topics in, in Indian country. You know, things yeah. like sexualizing Native women yes. In, yes. in Western culture is problemsome when our people are dealing with... Um, missing and murdered indigenous women as a crisis there's very little protections for our women and so looking at sexualized images directly reflects that Mm -hmm. and i think there's often a disconnect between the images that we so often consume in the western world that are perpetuated through things like clothing to brand identities to marketing in general that is a direct link to the the crisis the of missing and murdered indigenous women that often we're perpetuating that and upholding that system without recognizing it very much so and and i think it's you know it's not just a native problem but i think it's also a women's problem yeah and so even in the western world i've seen the sexualization of like the the character cute cowgirls Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pin up cowgirls. That yeah. can be yes. super problemsome. So you juxtapose a sexualized image of a native woman next to a sexualized image of a cowgirl, and then you're also doing a disservice to the autonomy that women hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shit. Ugh. That is good. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. <laughs> I just so, feel like yeah, we all need to sit with and that. And I will continue to say that we bring into fruition words, we bring into fruition our writing, but also in the images that we represent. That's so good. (laughs) That needs to be on a t-shirt. Yes. (laughs) And I really, I want to then drive this home at the risk of being provocative and maybe off-putting here, but I hope everyone listening is hearing as Hunter is saying this, the power that our words hold and the power that even the name of a, of a business holds, the power yeah. that your Instagram yeah. handle holds, the power mm-hmm. that a product name holds or a product description, because these are all, it might seem minute, but they're all connected they, and they we need connected. to take a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I am a huge supporter of self-reflection, mm-hmm. I think, and that's something in the age of 2020 
as the industry operates during COVID. Um, you know, things like Cowboy Christmas have changed. People have opted for online markets. Is that those are being seen. Yeah. Hashtags are being uh, seen. And so, you know, I, I went through earlier and I did NFR, you know, hashtag NFR fashion on Instagram. And, and you can see a lot of these problemsome wow. images. And Don't I'm not that. saying, and I will say that they're problemsome. I'm not saying that, okay, if, if you feel like you are being seen and, and you have autonomy by wearing something that might be problem some then okay mm-hmm. that's that's cool you know um i'm never gonna say like don't maybe maybe, maybe I, will. <laughs> I might tell you not to <laughs> yeah, maybe i might not tell you not to but you know like baseline is if it makes you feel beautiful if it makes you feel good mm-hmm. oh, but i'm asking you to be as conscious though yeah. and i'm asking mm-hmm. you to be incredibly conscious about and having and holding these brands accountable yeah because ultimately the consumer is holds the most autonomy and and we can hold a lot of power in that and that's the validation to all Mm -hmm. of this troublesome stuff is that people are still paying people are putting their money behind it because money talks and where we put our money matters so Mm -hmm. every time you spend a dollar you're voicing your opinion right right you are very much and that's that's super strong but and anyways now we also measure influence by likes we measure influences Mm -hmm. by clicks and so those also hold a lot of autonomy too. Wow. I love what you said before too, Hunter, about supporting native makers and native owned businesses and acknowledging that because I think cancel culture also applies to our imagery and the clothing we're buying. Like you said, if it makes you feel beautiful, wear it, but maybe look for a different source. Because it is beautiful. Yeah. It is yeah, beautiful. definitely yeah. look for a different source and, and also look at influencers who are being intentional. And so I can think of um, Shandina Lee, who oh, is DNA, yes. and she did a she did a spread with Wrangler. Um, I can think of Shana Clifford, who is yes. uh, a part of Fashion Posse, and she's Ogallala. Come on um, our so, podcast. But maybe one of the, <laughs> I think she's one of the Sioux tribes. I know she's one of the Sioux tribes. She mm-hmm. might be Ogallala. Um, and looking at who they are following, yes. people like Faith Holion, who is also DNA, mm-hmm. um, and she has a huge following. Yeah. Sammy Joe Bird of Blackfeet yes. Country, and, yes. and these these female influencers who, in their brand and in their everyday clothing, are doing it. They're doing the damn thing. Yeah freaking cool and as a native woman seeing and holding up other native women i want them to do well and i want them Mm. to to continue to put their power and their autonomy out there yes and i'm even thinking of all of the amazing indigenous owned brands that they that they represent like be yellowtail amazing so you get that's clothing you have hats with i believe it's thunder voice hat company incredible oh my gosh their tiktoks are so good yeah there's so many amazing Um, indigenous owned brands out there to support and like a ton you know the graphic tee the dressing up the graphic tee has kind of been the the big trend of the last couple years and different like streetwear brands like ntvs clothing oh i love that use native imagery (laughs) um but it's from native creators 
Wow. It's super cool. OXDX, which also does um, streetwear brands. And, you know, I can tag um, later on as we post things, and I'll send you these different brands that we yes, can include. Please. But, yeah. you know, these are native-owned, native-created, uh, not native-inspired, but inspired natives. And that, oh, that is really shit. That hurt my heart. So because good. then, Hunter, you bring up another important point, is that often in the Western world – we focus on this romanticized yet really narrow period of time to represent indigenous people kind of across the board. And that's like the 18th century plains. Mm -hmm. And that's all we look at when really we have an incredible, powerful, inspiring, creative, talented group of contemporary indigenous people who are putting out, bodies of work right now still still right now right right now like right now that's that's (laughs) totally true and I think we kind of go into this idea that okay so you might not be native or a person of color can I wear this Mm. absolutely like I think there's this fear in when you're purchasing from these brands that like am I gonna come off the wrong way like am I Uh. appropriating and it's like hell no like they created for mm. you to wear that like they want you to represent their brands right um the flip side of that is also talking about representation and rodeo and you know we can finish on this or we can go somewhere else you know aaron's um Cinegeny, we've got Derek begay we've got yeah. dustin bird we've got these different native athletes who are in the, the multiple um associations and they're also representing too and then looking at what they're doing so I don't know. I think I think Native people are pretty kick-ass, but... That, I feel like you're biased. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> um, Hunter, um, you might yes. have gone too far there. <laughs> nope, just kidding. That's a big, big-time agree right yes. there. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. So, here's the deal, everyone. We just got we just got started on these topics. I'm like, oh, I already know what episode two and three of this same conversation. Like, we have to have her back. We yes. have to do more of this. This is so good. And I hope you're all ready because Angela and I already started loose plans for a season that literally only focuses on these topics Yep. to dive deeper into this so that we're having a conversation as a group and we're taking a moment to, to be kind to ourselves and to each other. And to take a moment of pause and to learn together. This isn't this isn't us like talking at each other right. or we're not canceling we're not canceling. We're not people. Like you all suck, close your boutiques. <laughs> My bitch. No, this is this is an opportunity that we all have to grow together. Yeah. And we really hope you'll stick along stick along. Stick along. That's stick definitely along the technical us. term. Stick with us. Um, for you know, come come along on the ride. I don't know what I'm saying. I got so passionate. I got all <laughs> My heart's on up. fire. <laughs> I can't even talk. Nonetheless, you know, I think it's a great idea to you know have a continued conversation and create a dialogue. Yes, yes. That is super important, and you know, this is where we can use the power of social media um in creating these dialogues about these different hard topics. And you know, I. We'll talk to anybody. I won't argue with anybody. That's something mm. I will not do. But mm. I will absolutely talk to and let's learn from each other and yeah. um, let's hold the industry accountable. Yes. 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 
Because while November might be Native American Heritage Month, this is a conversation we need to be having all the time. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, this is a conversation that more than just Indigenous representation, but, you know, African American mm. representation and Latino representation and yep. paying respects to those groups who, you know, essentially were our first cowboys. Yes. Yeah. The people, the people, the movers and the shakers of the West as well. Yes. And giving them space um, is, we do them a disservice if we're not. Damn. Oh my gosh. And that's modeling allyship. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> this is why we were so excited. This is this it. This is it. Everyone gets it. You get it now, everybody. Now you know. This is our friend Hunter, and she's, she's really, amazing. She's pretty cool. I would say she's kick-ass. <laughs> and I am biased. <laughs> She can. And then there is this. There's too many reasons to be miserable, and so let's true. Not to. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's so good. Oh my gosh. Okay, Hunter, we obviously could talk to you for hours Forever, and hours and hours, and, and we will. We're just gonna split it up into multiple episodes, but. We want to know where to find you online, how to support um, where you work. Like, tell us all the things. Where can we find you? Sure. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, It's at Hunter Old Elk on Instagram and Facebook. And then I also run the social media sites for the Plains Indian Museum. So that is at Plains Indian Museum. Um, And that's also on Facebook and Instagram. And that's where I curate um, online content based around our museum collections and and historic photographs. Wow. And y'all are going to want to check that out in a very real way. Hunter has a gift and she does this so well. So if you're looking to learn, uh, this is this is a really great space. So yeah. go go follow all of her accounts that she manages because she does it beautifully. Yes. Well, thank Hunter, you. thank you so much thank for you, being on you. with us you. today. We so appreciate you, and we can't wait to continue this conversation, and I can't wait to hear feedback. I hope everyone, like, tells us about something that they learned from this episode because it would mean the world to all of us. So mm-hmm. thank you guys for listening today to another episode of the Breaking Western Podcast. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Season three. <laughs> Oh, yes. There she is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you all next week.